Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right on the week. We've got a playoff loss to discuss as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 387. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I catch up with Greg Cosell from NFL Films so we can break down Sunday's Eagles loss to the Tampa Bay Bucks. What did the film show us? Greg and I are going to go through both sides of the football. We're going to answer some big questions and also talk big picture about this team going into the offseason right at the top of the show. Before we get there, just a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to our Apple podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question about the Eagles going into the offseason, leave it there. Maybe I'll make an entire episode uh, about your question. So I appreciate everybody that has done that lately. Obviously, stay subscribed to this channel. We will continue providing Eagles content, X's Nose content. The longtime listeners know when we get into the offseason, that's when we have some of my favorite discussions where we talk about the team building process and game planning and X's Nose from a, stamp, uh, from a, a big picture standpoint learning more about the game. That's what I'm always trying to do, and I always try and bring that to the podcast. So we will always uh, make sure we are trying to supply uh, informative content for you. So make sure you stay subscribed right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast uh, fueled by Gatorade. Also, make sure you are subscribed right now to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler on a weekly basis. We are going to be putting out two podcasts a week. We're going to be daily from the Senior Bowl, daily from the Combine. Make sure you go check out uh, that podcast. If you want to get caught up on the NFL Draft, who the top players are, the top prospects, now's the time. Uh, if you're an Eagles fan, going into the offseason, you want to know who these top players are, huge opportunity for the Eagles. Three first-round picks as we sit here today, all three in the top 20. You want to know who these top players are. Go on over to the Journey of the Draft podcast, hit subscribe, and you will get that show sent to your podcast device every single week. Uh, Let's get into this uh, conversation here. I'm excited to talk through the game. I have not talked with Greg yet about this game, so you guys are all going to get our thoughts raw right here in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, please be joined once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, none other than NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to talk through uh, this playoff loss for the Eagles against the Bucs. Greg, uh, thanks for joining us once again. Fran, um, good to be with you. I'm sorry this will be our last one. I was hoping maybe for a few more. Last one for a while anyway, you know, sure. uh, but I was hoping there'd be a few more. But uh, I guess, as they say, that's why they play the games. That's exactly right. And and look, there's plenty to break down uh, from this game. Obviously, uh, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball, as we typically do. And look, I mean, the offense, uh, you know, Zach Berman uh, from The Athletic, you know, said this on the, the Birds, with, Birds with Friends podcast that, uh, you know, the offense did not reach the end zone, did not score a point until the fourth quarter. So obviously not a, a good performance for the offense against the Tampa Bay Bucks, um, you know, that's a, a good Bucks defense as we talked about here in the show last week, but uh, an Eagles offense that had run the ball so, so well over the last couple of months, uh, only ran, ran for less than a hundred yards. And uh, Jalen Hurts uh, did not have a good game uh, here against Tampa Bay this past Sunday. No. And of course, you know, and we'll get to the defense, which overall did not play badly, but the game just had a feel beginning with the first series where the Bucks did score a touchdown. The Eagles, the game did have a feel that the Eagles would have to score. 
And and they've scored, you know, in games this year, as we know. It's not as if they've been winning games 13-10. But it it had the feel that the passing game, to me anyway, watching it live, uh, it had a feel that the passing game would have to be a meaningful part of this game and that they couldn't just rely on the run game. Uh, So obviously it did not work out that way. But, you know, it was a game. I I think it's a good learning experience because – in this league, as you know, Fran, there's always going to be games, and certainly when you play better teams, and certainly when you get into the playoffs, where you need multiple ways to win on each side of the ball. And their run game so, so dominant. But when all said and done, uh, you know, they needed to be able to throw it in this game, and that that part of their their offense just, you know, did not perform well. There's no There's really no other way to say it. No, and I think in all areas, just the, the pass game just did not have uh, that feel to it. And when you factor in that the run game just could not get going either. Look, when you when you have three drives to start the game and only 10 plays, nothing's working, right? And, and right. so I think when you look at um, – let's look at this almost from the, the respect of what Tampa Bay did uh, to kind of limit the Eagles as well. And I think when you look just from a pure pass game standpoint um, – a lot of uh, certainly, especially on third down, saw a lot of different edge pressures. Uh, Antoine Winfield very active, blitzing off the edge. Uh, we saw Whitehead blitzing off the edge. Obviously, the the, the pass rushers and Tryon and Pierre Paul and uh, and Shaq Barrett as well. But uh, you saw different edge pressures, um, and I thought they did they did some good things from a coverage standpoint as well, just to kind of mix things up uh, and keep Jalen Hurts on, on his toes uh, from a pass game standpoint. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to talk about third down, they were very aggressive with pressure on third down. Uh, Winfield, as you said, and he was their slot corner in this game. Yeah. Uh, and Winfield was was very much a part of, of their pressure concepts. Um, I would say particularly in the first half, they had more zone pressures than man pressures. Um, one thing they did on third down that was clearly game plan was try on as a spy on Hertz. Yep. That was a game plan tactic, which obviously, you know, you're trying to limit Hertz secondary action runs and ideally make him stay in the pocket. Uh and he and I did thought, not the, big, the big reason why I thought that was big too for them, Greg. And obviously, when you look, when you're playing two man coverage, which we saw a lot from the Bucks yes. uh, in this game, that does open up the ability for quarterbacks to scramble. But by playing two man with a spy and try on, that kind of limited the, the scrambling ability while still getting the advantages uh, in coverage of the aggr- aggressive press man and trail technique coverage on the outside. Yeah. And I was just going to make the point about two man, and you're 100% right. And that's been a foundation for them on third down this season. Uh, because 20% of, of quarterback dropbacks on third down, the Bucks have played two-man this year. Yeah. So that, that's been a foundation. But you're 100% right. You play two-man against a quarterback that can run uh, and leave the pocket like that. You know, you leave yourself open. So Tryon, who's a long athletic player, he was used as a spy. And Jalen Hurts did not have any real scrambles in this game. I know there were a number of design runs, but I don't remember any meaningful scrambles in this game. No, I, I don't believe so. Yeah, he had yeah. a few where he broke the pocket to throw, but not many where he was able yeah. to go off and run. So, I mean, that was really their their foundation and their their staple approach in the game on third down. And they were very aggressive with pressure. I mean, it was high, high pressure. And they felt, you know, clearly that. Um, and, and I understand it. Look, when you watch tape of the Eagles pass offense this year, let's put aside the run for the moment. You know, one thing you do notice is that Jalen will break down. And a lot of coaches have the belief that, hey, maybe he'll hurt us once or twice if he runs, but for the most part, if we can make a quarterback who likes to run break down early, it disrupts the timing of the pass game and the pass game becomes less effective. And and you and I both know Todd Bowles 
is never shy about pressuring the quarterback. Especially when you can get into third and long. And that's where the inability to run the ball effectively really came into play uh, yep. here in this game. Um, <clears throat> you know, the other thing I thought from a from a coverage standpoint for Tampa Bay, when they were in their uh, you know zone coverage concepts, whether it was cover three, whether it was cover two, right. I thought that their underneath defenders did a really good job of syncing with those intermediate routes and really made those throws really tough to layer for Jalen Hurts, whether he was targeting Dallas Goddard on some of those deeper sale routes, whether it was Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, whoever it was, those underneath defenders, they weren't they weren't respecting necessarily the, the underneath stuff. They were going to force Jalen Hurts to check down. I thought they did a nice job of kind of clamping down on some of those intermediate routes when they were in zone coverage. Yeah, and I, and I think that, again, plays into – uh, you know, what Jalen is at this point in his career and Todd Bowles and staff, obviously knowing that is that they just wanted to muddy the, the, the intermediate throws um, because Jalen at this point in his career is still not a true timing and anticipation thrower. So he needs to get a really clear picture of those kinds of throws, Fran, as, as you know, and we've talked about before. And you're right. They did a really good job of just and all it takes in the NFL is, is half a beat. Yep. And if you muddy it for half a beat, it, it's not there. And the quarterback will not turn it loose. Yeah. And look, this is, uh, you know, kind of the, the trial by fire that a lot of quarterbacks are going to go through, whether they're uh, rookie yep. quarterbacks or young veterans that are getting in their first playoff start. Uh, we know that the game does change. The game does get a little bit faster when you're getting into the playoffs. You see more unscouted looks when you get into the postseason. Uh, we've seen quarterbacks all across the NFL uh, these last couple of years struggle in that first start. And so Jalen Hurts, uh, this is not foreign territory you know, for guys. No, and you're playing such a veteran DC and Todd Bowles, who's really good, been doing this a long time. Um, and 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 by nature, very aggressive. You know, he's the kind of coordinator that's not necessarily worried about getting beat. You know, there's a lot of coordinators that just play a little soft, a little I don't want to say vanilla, but they they just they're they're worried about getting beat over the top. Bowles is aggressive. He he will not, he will not worry about that. I mean, I got the sense, to be honest with you, watching the game and then the tape in particular, that he wasn't the least bit concerned about the run game. That he almost felt like, hey, if the Eagles want to run the ball, more power to you because you're not going to score a lot of points that way. Our guy's probably going to score a good number of points. You're not going to beat us 17-13. You're going to have to beat us 31-28, and you're not going to beat us 31-28 running the ball. That was just my sense. You know, I could be wrong, but that's the way I felt. Yeah, I mean, to me, like looking at how Tampa Bay stopped the run, that was one of the things I was interested to see coming going into the film was, all right, well, what did they do? Uh, so, hey, look, yeah, like we saw some run blitzes. Obviously, they'll play with, uh, you know, loaded boxes. They were going to they were going to do things to try and be able to stop the run. They matched Eagles uh, heavier personnel with some uh, heavy personnel of their own. Right. So, I, you know, we saw uh, examples of the different tactics, but. To be honest, like I saw you know, too many mental errors up front for the Eagles in terms of blocking assignments. I didn't think I didn't go in after watching the film. I didn't walk away saying, man, like, you know, the offensive line really struggled in that one. Or, oh, man, like there were there were, uh, you know, th this was a mismatch or that was a mismatch. I just kind of looked and said the Bucks just kind of won up front and they could not get yeah. enough going uh, on the ground. I didn't know if that was how you viewed it as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also think in an odd way that. And again, when the game's seven nothing, obviously that doesn't change anything you do offensively. But I just felt that this game started to get a feel early. Mm -hmm. Okay. And 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 this is more of a, a watching it live. Okay. Yeah. Tape is different, you know, tape's more antiseptic when you're sitting in your office watching tape. Watching it live, I just got the feeling that the game started to get away from the Eagles offensively. And again, you can say 14 nothing, hey, no need to change what you're doing. 
That's easy to say, but Tom Brady's the quarterback on the other side. And, and you just start to get that, you just, you start to get a little impatient that, Hey, you know, maybe we need to make some plays in the pass game here and we can't just line up and run the ball. That's kind of the way I felt watching it live. And even honestly, like to your point, when, when Tom Brady is on the other side of the, of the other of field, if you're on on offense, you can't afford to make the amount of mistakes that the Eagles made in this game. I mean, Dallas Goddard talked after the game about uh, the the bust on the first third down. There was another one, uh, I believe, on the second series where you could just tell, like, guys were just not on the same page. And Dallas Goddard was kind of running around looking for the football. The ball had been handed off. Uh, there were just a handful of those plays. Uh, you had a couple key drops early on. You had those penalties on, what was that, that, that fourth or fifth series um, that took away big plays, right? Yeah. So when you have those kinds of plays, you can throw in the Jalen Rager fumble on the on the punt return. Those kinds of things, those are mistakes that you struggle to come back from when you're going up against Tom Brady. Without question. And and a certain, especially when you're behind. You know, yeah. that's the thing. Hey, if the game was, let's say, 10-7 or 3-0 or whatever, they don't seem to be as important. But when you're behind like that, you know, and the game just starts moving along, the, the possessions start to shorten. And you know, while the Eagles have had success offensively throughout certainly the last part of the year, I, I don't know if you or I would call them a big play offense. You know, they're they're not necessarily the kind of offense that's going to hit 350-yard touchdowns. That's not really the way they play. Right. It was more like they, they would uh, – it was chunk plays. It was not necessarily like the big explosive play, like the 30-plus, right. the, the but it was uh, a lot of 17, 21, like in that area. Um, you know, and that's what, what was kind of interesting. You know, I think when you look at the, the Eagles pass game over these last couple of months, obviously very you know, a heavy volume of both the screen game and, and the RPO pass game, which we saw uh, here in this game. But outside of that, when you look at Jalen Hurts' average depth of target numbers – they were like tops in the league. They they pushed the ball vertically. And a lot of that is some of those uh, well-defined three-level stretches and some of those dagger concepts where they're they're trying to create some of those basic high lows. And I feel like uh, going back to what I said earlier about those underneath defenders for Tampa Bay, they kind of right. squeezed those windows down in this game. Yeah, no, they did. I mean, I remember seeing, and I might even have made a note about it, that there were, you know, the Eagles did run a lot of the things they normally run. Yeah. And they just weren't available for throws to be made. Yep. I mean, that's that's what happened in this game. So it uh, you know, that that was an issue. And and they just couldn't they couldn't really get a pass game going in this game at all. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go over to the other side of the football. We're, we're going to come back to the offense uh, here in a little bit. Just kind of talk big picture going into the offseason. But uh, go to the defensive side and look. 17 points the first half. That's not ideal, right? You don't want to be on pace to give up 34 in a game. But when I look at the way that the defense played in this game, they have five three and outs. Uh, you get the turnover on downs late, but you have five three and outs against Tom Brady. You have the, the three third down sacks to close out the half. Uh, the, the Bucks were four of 13 on third down overall. I thought that the defense did a pretty nice job uh, against Tom Brady and this passing attack that, you know, despite, you know, yeah, no, no Antonio Brown, no Chris Godwin. That's still a, you're led by Tom Brady and you have some good weapons on that side of the football, obviously Mike Evans uh, being one of them. Yeah. And the Eagles did, you know, some different things in this game, which, you know, again, I, it's not that you're fooling Tom Brady, but you're just showing him things that he has, as you said, unscouted looks, things he's probably not seen a whole lot on tape, if at all. I mean, they had Fletcher Cox stand up as a joker, you know, basically as a second level joker over the center and uh, as part of a five man front. Um, they played a lot more man coverage in this game. Uh, I remember one of the sacks, it was the red zone sack 
where they actually they they doubled Gronk yep. and Evans and, and Evans. Um, that was a great job in the red zone. Yeah, and 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 clearly Brady was looking for Gronk, and and I was actually surprised he didn't turn it loose. I think I think he probably could have gotten that in there, but he didn't. And then they sacked him. Um, you know, I th- and then uh, you know, then they did some of the things they normally do with the five man fronts, but they did they did some disguise late movement. I mean, overall, I thought it was a it was a good defensive game plan, and I thought they did some good things on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I thought when they got inside like the fringe area, inside the 30, that's where we started to see some of those brackets on Gronk, some of those yeah. brackets on Evans. Uh, outside of that, when they got to third down, it was, as you mentioned, a, a lot of man coverage. And what I liked about it, too, was that it wasn't always just, oh, it's basic cover one. You saw cover, you know, your cover one with, you know, Alex Singleton as the whole defender. You saw cover one robber where Rodney McLeod would drop down. He actually took away a, a dig to Rob Gronkowski on one of those third down throws. Uh, you saw the, uh, the five man pressure cover one where it's uh, no hold defender and it's an Alex Singleton coming on the blitz, right? So you saw different versions of cover one that meant you, you were changing up responsibilities. I thought they put a lot on Marcus Epps's plate in this game. He, he had one-on-one reps uh, with Gronk. He had a one-on-one rep with, uh, with, uh, with Mike Evans uh, at one time in the slot. So, uh, I think they put a lot on, on Marcus Epps in this game, but that, that third down game plan was sound. It really helped them uh, stay alive in this game. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously there's always going to be when you're playing Brady uh, and the Bucks, there's going to be some plays where, you know, they get the matchups they want. There were two plays for 16 and 17 yards where they played man and Evans was in the slot and he got matched up against Maddox. And, you know, if, if you're the Bucks, you like that. And, and the plays work. Then, then obviously the final touchdown to Evans, was was a schemed play. It was the play right after the Barrett interception. Yep. You know, we've seen that a lot in the NFL with 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, and you go close to the boundary, twins to the field, and you put your best receiver in the slot, and you feel pretty comfortable about what you're going to get from the defense. And they got what they anticipated, which it was the way the Eagles played it. It was quarters, and you had Evans running basically an over route against Rodney McLeod. And, you know, McLeod's a good player, but if you're an offense, you'll take Evans running a route on a vertical route concept on a safety any day of the week. Sure. Yeah, I think when you look at it, um, you know, that that sequence there where you had the, the Rager fumble on the punt return, they go down and they score. That that play that opened that drive after the Rager fumble, that was a 22-yard completion uh, to Giovanni Bernard on the screen. That was their longest play of the day uh, up to that point. So you get the 22-yard yeah. catch on the screen, they go down, they score the touchdown, uh, and then you get the ball back. That's when the interception happens. They get the ball in the 36, and now all of a sudden it goes from 17 nothing like that to 31 nothing, right? And just, you know, within a, a couple of minutes of game time, um, you know, and I, that sequence there, uh, just crucial. And, and that, yeah. that even comes yeah. on the heels of uh, the Jalen Hurts interception just before half, right? So when you talk about just a, a sequence of time in the game, late second quarter, early third quarter was where it kind of broke open uh, in Tampa's favor. Um, you mentioned uh, Fletcher Cox earlier, some of the things they did with him, uh, especially early on, standing him up, a couple of those reps. Uh, I thought that did a good job of, of uh, dictating some protections to Tampa Bay. One of those was on a third down. You had Cox who won quickly and you had one-on-ones with Hargrave and Cox, which we've talked all season long. You can't get those on anyone. You, you were going to get one of those guys doubled on every play when you had right. that unique look that created a single on both guys. Cox was able to win that for, helped force the incomplete pass. Um, I thought Milton Williams, Greg, once again, just, uh, yeah. he's, he's going to be a player. He's going to be a really good player for this defense. No, he's going to be a really, he's, he's, he's a good player now. I think he'll be a really good player. Yeah. Um, no, he's it's going to be interesting because, you know, he played uh, and obviously the game did get out of hand somewhat in the fourth quarter. It was 31 nothing at the end of the third quarter. Sure. Um, 
So he probably played a few more snaps, maybe. But I think he played something like 39 snaps in this game, which is a very high number, other obviously than the last regular season game when they weren't playing any of their starters. But he's going to be a very, very good player. Yeah, I think when you look at, you know, the fact that they, I think they only blitzed Brady, I think it was two times, let me say real quick, oh, they, they blitzed him seven times in the game, um, but the, very often the, the four-man rush was able to be very effective uh, for the Eagles, and that the pressure numbers were really, were, were pretty good uh, here in this one. He gave a four sacks, only one of two when he was pressured, so I think when you look at uh, the, the defensive line's ability to win up front, Milton Williams was a big part of that, Ryan Kerrigan had a good outing, Hargrave was getting home, Cox was getting home, so uh, you know, that, that group was able to, again, uh, if things are different on the other side of the football offensively, uh, you know, that I think that turns into a little bit more of an interesting game, obviously, but um, let, let's take a look at this from big picture and just look at this defense moving forward, uh, potentially, you know, looking into a, a second year with Jonathan Gannon and the scheme. Uh, look, we, we've talked to all season long about the improvement, how that group has really kind of gelled together. It's going to look different uh, next year in 2022, right? There, there's a few guys that are set to hit the free agent market, but, I think one thing we got to see this year is that you've got uh, some of your veterans that are still going to be key parts. I mean, Fletcher Cox, Darius Slay, those guys, those guys are going to be integral parts of what you're doing here in 2022. And then you've got some of these other young pieces that have taken next steps or have shown that they've got something there. Milton Williams, Josh Sweat, uh, you know, you mentioned Marcus Epps, right? Some of these guys, I think you've shown that they've got a role here in the future. Yeah, and, and of course, we don't know what the Eagles will do in the offseason, how they evaluate the roster, because as you know, what coaches now do uh, is before the coaches, I'm not talking about scouts, coaches, yep. coaches will go back and look at every game and every play, particularly position coaches. They will evaluate every player at their position in detail. I know I've spoken to coaches who will watch every play of the season for their position group three, four times. Yep. You know, so that's what the coaches will do now. They'll make their evaluations and they'll decide where they need to get better in their mind. Um, so we don't know the answer to those questions. But there, there's no question that the Eagles defense, as the year progressed, got better. Gannon became a little more aggressive. They clearly played more man coverage. I mean, I remember leading up to this game and doing my research, Fran, from weeks 8 to 17, not counting the last game of the season, the Eagles' percentage of cover one was the seventh highest in the NFL. Wow. So, I mean, they they really evolved over the course of the season into a team that played a lot of man coverage. So mm. whether that continues, who knows? Um, we'll see as, as the season progresses, as the offseason sort of takes shape here. Sure. Um, you know, obviously they've got three first round picks as we stand now. Uh, what are, Do they have 11 total picks? They have 11, 11 total picks, three in the top 20. So, you know, uh, you know, that'll tell us a lot, assuming they keep the picks as to how they see their team, as yeah. will free agency, obviously. Yeah. That's always yeah. a starting point as to what you, you look to go after in free agency. Yeah, and then going over to the offensive side of the football, you, you get the, the Eagles getting a lot of really important information, right? I think you, I think what you saw yeah. from uh, this year, Devontae Smith looks like he's going to be a player. Dallas Goddard living up to expectation once he became the guy, and obviously they, they gave him the contract, right? So you feel pretty good there. Jordan Mailata got a contract uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the summer, coming into the year, so you feel good. Landon Dickerson coming in, performing at a high level. Jalen Hurts showing that he can be a starting quarterback uh, in the NFL. So you're, you're seeing all these things from um, you know from young players, unproven players uh, up to this point. And again, just trying to build off that going into the offseason. Same deal as what we were talking about on defense. Yeah. And again, it's never one person when you talk about a unit, but 
you and I both know that in order for this team to take that next step, the, they're going to need more from the passing game. Now, whether whether they played the, the way they did this year because that was the best way to win this year and they feel like they can do a whole lot more in the passing game and they just didn't need to, you know, who, we don't know the answer to that right now. Yep. But the, the point is, is that the passing game will have to be a, a bigger factor as, as 2022 takes shape because in this league, and I think you saw that this weekend, you know, when you watch the playoff games is you're going to need to be able to throw the ball independently from your run game. And, and that's going to be an area which I, I, we know that they will work on. I think one thing that's interesting, and you mentioned the, the draft picks, and you know, three in the top 20 at this point, and 11 picks overall. When you look at this rookie class uh, and what this, what this group did here in year one, um, I think it speaks highly to the way that the, the scouting staff and the coaching staff worked together during, that, during yeah. the, this past offseason, year one, uh, for them working together. And what that could be, I mean, that could that could be a huge, obviously this is a huge opportunity this offseason for the Eagles to improve this roster. Uh, and we'll see how many picks they end up with by the time we get to April. But when you have the the coaches and the and the, the scouts working to the level that they were able to do, and you look, it's the, those top three picks all look like they hit, right? Between uh, Devontae Smith, Landon Dickerson, and Milton Williams. Saw they some did. really good flashes when you get to day three and what they saw from, from Kenny Gainwell. And, you know, Zach McPherson, the summer that he had, took more of a, a redshirt year during the regular season, right? But uh, you go down the list for some of the young guys uh, that they got to see flashes of. Uh, no one looked completely out of place, right? And so I think that that's going to be that's a good sign for uh, what this group ha- has done together and what it could mean for them this spring. No, I mean, even someone like Patrick Johnson, a seventh round exactly. pick, right. he played. I mean, he played in this game, and there were games this year he played meaningful snaps. Yep. Um, and I actually think he's there's a lot to be tapped with that kid as, as you go forward. But, no, the first three picks, I mean, they're all big-time contributors. Devonta Smith was their best receiver. Yep. He'll be a really good player. Dickerson was a major part of what they did this year. You know, yep. he's a road grader at left guard. And, and Milton Williams is, you know, again – you don't want to overdo it, but he he showed flashes where you think he almost could be a star. So, you know, and then Gainwell, I mean, G- Gainwell is a player I really like, and I think there's so much more there depending on how they see him within the context of their backfield going forward. Yep. Um, but uh, uh, no, this, the draft this year was really producing quality players and important players. And you said they have three. In the, what are their numbers with the draft this uh, year? Yeah, I believe it's 15, 16. I believe it's 19 uh, as we record this. So right let's number. assume, I mean, again, we have no idea. But if there's no trade, you really would like to be in a position where you get three starters. And starters is a relative term. You know, if it's sure. an offensive player, you know, he could play in a sub package and he ends up playing 60% of the snaps. That's essentially a starter. Right. Yep. Yeah, you, know, you look at like Rashawn Gary in Green Bay his first couple of years. He's not starting. Joe Tryon for Tampa, right? We, look, we just played yeah, the I mean, Joe Tryon, Joe Tryon is not a, a great draft pick. Yeah, yep. I mean, he's not a starter in a strict sense, but no, he's that's a great draft pick. Yeah, uh, we'll see uh, exactly how this offseason pans out. Well, Greg, we will be breaking that down. Uh, you will be joining us uh, on a weekly basis here. No, not quite yet, but coming up soon here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Oh, well, good. That's, that's yes, good. Uh, so I'm breaking that news to you as well. Uh, oh, well, that's, that's, that's very good to hear. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so coming up in a few weeks, uh, you'll be joining us every week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Obviously, all the Eagles moves, uh, any transactions, anything along those lines, we'll be breaking down right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast with, with an Eagle spin on it. So uh, thanks for joining us every week here, uh, Greg, and we'll be, we'll talk to you again very soon. Yeah. I'll, I'll look for it on the national news, Fran. Okay. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> now it's time to hear from you, the fans in the draft mailbag. 
Great stuff there from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. And you know I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Give us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it. I wanted to do exactly that here for Michael J., who left a five-star review with a question saying, Fran and Greg, keep up the good work. From my observations, obviously this question was left uh, before the playoff game against the Bucks. It appears that some of the difficulty that the Eagles have had in pass coverage can be traced to the linebackers consistently playing the hook zones, even when man-to-man coverage is called. I'm guessing that Jonathan Gannon uses the linebackers this way because of their inability to cover tight ends, running backs, and crossers in man coverage. This would partially explain why tight ends of opposing teams do so well. Have you noticed this? So, Michael, that's a, a little bit of a loaded question. And there's a few things at play here. Number one, uh, very yes, very rarely do you see the Eagles linebackers matched up on tight ends. They, they have not necessarily always been asked to do that this year. Uh, I think if you just look in this game against Tampa Bay, uh, who lined up against Rob Gronkowski and Cam Brate uh, and, uh, and O.J. Howard, very often it was Marcus Epps. Uh, very often you saw Rodney McLeod at times, although Rodney McLeod was also used against running backs, uh, Anthony Harris at times, but then also Avante Maddox, Steven Nelson got reps against Rob Gronkowski when he was isolated outside. So uh, they have used a bunch of those guys in the back seven, but the linebackers typically have either been matched up one-on-one against running backs, or as you mentioned, they've been playing in some of those middle zones. Now, the big thing to remember not all uh, of these zone coverages that you'll say, oh, this that looks like man. Sometimes that could be matchup zone. So it might look like, oh, the guys inside, they're playing zone and everyone else is playing man. Especially when you look on the inside, look at the leverage of a guy like Avante Maddox or if there's a safety in the slot. He might be playing outside in, kind of forcing the action into the backers. That's not man. They are playing some kind of a matchup zone there. And so without looking at any individual play, I can't point to say, yeah, like this is a good example, but that would be something that that I would just keep an eye on there. Um, And also, there are versions of cover one. The Eagles played a decent amount in this game, as we talked about with Greg, where yeah, you, you are the whole player underneath. So you are essentially playing an underneath zone coverage hunting up on on any crossing routes or anything that happens there in the middle of the field. So you're playing as a short zone defender, but everybody else is playing man, right? So there are are lots of different ways to kind of carve that up. That's why I meant earlier with it being a loaded question, but – you know that's not an uncommon use uh, for linebackers, right? I mean, if you look at the the New Orleans Saints, who uh, we we talked about uh, having number one, one of the better defenses in the league, but also a, a defense that gave Tom Brady and the Bucks uh, trouble. Really, anytime they've played against them over the last two years, they don't use their linebackers to cover uh, tight ends either, right? Quan Alexander will go in the back, and Demario Davis is a blitzer by trade. So I think when you look at the way teams use linebackers, it's going to vary from team to team to team. Not everybody has uh, a Bobby Wagner or a Fred Warner or a Darius Leonard. Those guys. That you know those those guys are a little bit harder uh, to come by from a coverage standpoint against the tight end position. So, uh, Michael, good question there. Appreciate uh, your constant support here for this podcast. And again, anybody that has any questions about this Eagles team from an X and O standpoint, from a personnel standpoint, head on over to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, the Apple Podcast page. You can leave a question there in the comment box. We will get to it here on a future show. So, great stuff there from Michael. Thank you, and thank you as well to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Center. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.